Welcome to episode 174 of the Design Details Podcast. I'm Bryn Jackson. And I'm Brian Levin. Today we caught up with Noah Levin, my... Levin Levin? My Levin Levin long lost cousin. Whoa, that's, that, that, was that got weird. Sick. Uh, Noah is a no dis- relations. Noah <laughs> relations. Noah relations uh, between <laughs> Noah and I. He's a design manager at ClassPass in New York City. Before that, he was at Google. Before that, at NASA. Uh, we had a really great time catching up with him while he was here in San Francisco for the week. He's fantastic. I got to meet him a couple times in New York, and we knew we had to have him on as soon as he landed. Before we get into the conversation, though, we want to thank Wayno once again for making this episode possible. Wayno is just the best digital agency out there. They're doing incredible work with some just incredible humans and incredible teams like the companies they work with are oh my god they're really cool companies like zero do you see the zeros page that they did uh i think that was uh ben mango brian senian i think chopsa man it's just crazy i think linda was on that too some of the other case studies they have on their website for zero red bull lonely planet reuters jelly santa tracker from google on and on their work is inspiring it's incredible but they're just sponsoring us because they want you to check them out their website is wayno.co you should go see what they're up to with their rebrand their new website is gorgeous they're just the raddest people i love them you should follow them on twitter for some laughs yeah their twitter is the best and and some good feels you should follow them on dribble to get inspired by their work on instagram and of course if you're looking for a new gig Go to their website and... Follow them on their careers page. Yeah. Join them. They're hiring designers here in San Francisco and in New York. They want your help. Tell them we sent you. Go help them. Once again, they're at wayno.co. That's U-E-N-O dot C-O. Thanks so much again, Wayno, for sponsoring us and making this episode possible. With that, let's get into episode 174 with Noah Levin. Yeah, so my name is Noah Levin. Um, I am a product design manager at ClassPass. Uh, and I'm from Pittsburgh, lived in San Francisco for five years, and just moved to New York in February. Nice. So you're working at ClassPass. That's correct. What are you working on? Uh, so right now, working on building our design team and getting into a healthy spot and making sure uh, that we are building products that make it easier for you to get to class. Um, and I think historically and earlier in the company, there was a lot of focus on they found product market fit. They had a product that people wanted and needed. They loved the idea of variety in their workouts. Um, and it, it started to take off early on and they realized, look, it's probably pretty important to grow to lots of cities before, you know, they started seeing copycats in other areas doing the same kind of product, which is a good sign. That means uh, it's kind of working. And so there was a priority of kind of building up our partnerships teams to make sure that we can kind of scale in that way, but not necessarily in the product sense yet. Um, and then by around January, they brought in Braden Coates from Google Ventures when they realized, okay, we don't necessarily need to grow in that area right now. We need to build our product team, our engineering team, our design team. Uh, make sure that we're building something that is really stable and working before we continue to grow. And mm-hmm. so that's kind of where we are. Um, and it's been about eight months. Nice. Uh, where were you before that? Uh, Actually, hang on. <laughs> I think it's important that we start a little bit at the beginning in this one because I want to work up to to how you ended up at ClassPass. So okay. you're, you're from yeah. Pittsburgh. I am, yeah. Uh, you grew up there? I did. When did you start getting interested in design, technology? Um, I think the the earliest I can remember... Uh, or at least like the most like visual in my head is the deviant art phase. Yes. Oh, thank God. Yes. Yes. <laughs> oh God. <laughs> the wonderful, wonderful world of deviant art, which that was green though. 
Oh my goodness. I that can't log into mine to delete stuff. So I'm, very <laughs> uncomfortable. I'm the other way around. I want to find it. I can't find oh, my man. old stuff. I think at one point I got to that point where it's like, oh, I got to hide everything. And now I only have like a few things from like late high school, but I want to go back. I want to see it. We actually, at ClassPass, we had recently, um, we had a setup where we showed each other our most embarrassing pieces of work. It was super fun. Like we got uh, our team awesome. together and we all just like pulled up the earliest things we could find. Oh God. It's And now the point is like destroy your ego. Like stop, you know, thinking so much about that. Let's just like look at some funny stuff. But for me, that was like Pokemon signatures. If you, I don't even know hmm. like how to describe what a signature was then. It was like- A forum <laughs> signature. Well, yeah, for, yeah, yeah. For, yeah, like, of course, yeah. of course. Explain right. a forum <laughs> signature to a 13 year old today. Yeah. Well, yeah, they don't, don't know what the equivalent is. <laughs> They've got a Snapchat QR code instead. <laughs> yeah, essentially, yeah. Designing QR codes is the new form signature. I don't know. Uh, they were fun, though. They were like Photoshop 6 or maybe later than that, and you would just like do these funny like textures and brush strokes and stuff. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you thought it looked really cool. Animate them. <laughs> yeah, you can. That's right. You would do, was that called the timeline? or uh-huh. No, there was a Photoshop equivalent, after, not After Effects. Do you remember what I'm talking about? Photoshop had a timeline. It did, but it was within a tangential product that wasn't called Photoshop. Do you know what I'm talking about? Photoshop Elements, maybe? No, no. no. There's another one. We'll find this. The first time I ever that. made GIFs was in the Photoshop like time. Oh, so before yeah. that. Mm-hmm. I, I was in the, in the timeline, too. Before that time, there was another tool, which was the same interface that they eventually merged into. It was not called Bridges like the other thing. Anyway. Uh, yeah. Uh, <laughs> so, yeah, I would, make, I would make those kinds of things. And then that sort of evolved into... I would sort of call that like digital abstract art or something, you know? Like that's like the, like I feel like the nice way of describing it. You know, it was just uh, it was abstract and edgy. super edgy. Yeah, the yeah. <laughs> Pikachu's really, its angles there were just uh-huh. on point. Uh, uh. So, so some of that kind of stuff. And then uh, eventually people wanted websites. So influence came from others where like my brother was in a band and needed a website I, oh, I, oh yeah those, those heard, heard this story before. everyone's <laughs> got it my, actually my favorite Fan one was websites. i did i did a nail salon website and i got mm. free manicures and pedicures for life although i don't know if it's still really working uh, oh you haven't, I haven't, you haven't followed through yeah, well i did for a bit like actually it was mostly a gift from my mom it was <laughs> yeah, like yeah. hey mom like go there whenever you want because i was I, I guess at that point though that to be fair that was like just starting college but before that it was mostly band websites and ho- do you guys remember homestead no, com. no. Do you, well, so, okay, you know GeoCities though. Uh-huh. Yeah. Okay, so Homestead was like something probably around the GeoCities era that was like the first GUI for making websites that didn't really require code and like you could drag like an animated lava lamp. Do you guys remember those? Like the kind uh-huh. of like yes. the big flashy stupid things that you would put all over your website. Can we bring that shit back, please? Please. <laughs> please. There's got to be a tool for that. We should make a new design tool for ob- like obnoxious flashing patterns, like the flash tag and all that stuff. For it, sure. It's like what would uh squarespace look like if squarespace was built in the 90s like what are the elements you drag and drop so we've been actually thinking about when we have our weekly design meetings we've been trying to turn some of them into activities like this whole show your you know old projects and we've been actually talking about using figma a bit for like design collaboration for a half hour i think one of them could be like a specific really funny kind of constraint like that like design a 90s design tool and see what happens yeah i like that (laughs) it's hard to do in 30 minutes but tools are getting better we can do it faster uh, anyway, <laughs> insert marquee, insert blank, <laughs> insert cursor. <laughs> Definitely. I, yeah, all of those. I think, uh, yeah, so I don't know, it started there. And like, I guess when you're doing websites, you kind of self teach yourself how to build them. So you learn a little bit of code when you're doing that. Uh, I remember in high school, you, I think we had like, we were supposed to give some kind of presentation on like, on something you're really interested in. And at the time I had done it on like, uh, 
I think I did it on like the simplicity of the Google search box. I was like, oh my God. What? Like, like, yeah, I know. It's kind foreshadowing. of crazy. Foreshadowing. Foreshadowing. <laughs> For real? How like we did something like that and mine was like Star Wars books. <laughs> <laughs> you should work at Star Wars, man. You should make that dream happen. <laughs> um, no, so, uh, but I also had this weird tension because I also really wanted to do musical theater. That's like what I thought I was going to do in some ways. Um, like I went to a, like a kind of a, uh, high school, my senior year, I switched high schools into a school that focused on theater in some ways. Uh, and so got super into that. And so when I looked at colleges, I was like, all right, I like computers. I like this weird digital abstract art thing. I even like made this weird portfolio of like shiny space, like kind of graphics or whatever. Tell me more. <laughs> <laughs> you can find it if you look at DeviantArt. It's still around, I think. Uh, yeah, like just abstract stuff. And then I would put that into a portfolio and I would look at colleges and be like, do you have both theater and this weird abstract art thing? And they'd be like, uh, uh, in one cool. set design, dude. <laughs> in one, yes. Oh my god, I missed it. That would have been good. I should have done that. Uh, no, I, <laughs> Noah, Noah goes home and questions all of his <laughs> life path decisions. Changing, happening. Shit. Sci-fi set designer Noah Levin. Yep, I think I could see that. Uh, no, I couldn't. Actually, though, funny you mentioned that. There's another Noah Levin who owns Noah11.com, who is a like a stage designer and does like lighting design and stuff. But this it's, is it's when you alternate in the other timelines. <laughs> in the other yeah, one. alternate timelines collide. Yeah. Actually, I have collided with, I don't think that one, but there's another No 11. There's a whole Facebook group of No 11s. It's really weird. Is this common? Uh, I, well, I, I don't guess. know. Do you guys I, have that? Is, that? is there an equivalent? Like, is that a real thing? Yeah, I'm buds with all the Brian Levins in the world. All of them. All, Are you though? Because you could two. be. All two of them. See, there you go. The other I, well, one's like a real estate agent. All the other Brian Jacksons are like teenage white girls. <laughs> <laughs> That's not a joke. Like, nice, ever, dude. If I search Bryn Jackson on Twitter, it's me and then a bunch of like teenage. <laughs> That's amazing. <laughs> I'm thinking of like the Matrix when there's just lots of clones and like if you had a future world where all of the people with the same name got together and just had, had this crazy you had Party. to build a, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know where I'm going with that. Um, where was I? Theater <laughs> stuff. Uh, so I thought I wanted to do theater stuff. I looked at colleges. I found a few uh, and found a school called Carnegie Mellon, which is uh, like a mile from my childhood house. Uh, and I was like, no, I'm, I'm always good. I'm going to leave home. I'm going to go far. I'm going to find this place. And I was like, wait a minute. This place is cool. Uh, it It is a school that um, had, I basically, I realized at a point I couldn't major in theater. It just seemed like really unrealistic in a lot of ways. I really enjoyed it, but I just felt it wasn't a career path. I felt like I could really go for. Uh, and so I would find schools that had a good kind of like club for it. And so there's a club in Carnegie Mellon called Scotch and Soda, um, which is a really great kind of like theater group. So I felt like I could kind of start learning about computers in a, a major that was called information systems. Um, Dope. Which, yeah, I get, I mean, it's, it's a, there's a lot of majors like this, like informatics. I think Stanford has something called like symbolic systems. And a lot of them are like, to me, it's like, you know, not computer science, teach you everything that involves some of programming some of business some about how you know psychology like lots of different things it was almost like a major where you could just pick any elective in the topics that you cared about that you wanted um and so that was kind of cool yeah <laughs> that sounds wonderful <laughs> sounds like that's, heaven. that's like brian's major it was basically was the same yours? thing what was that i studied entrepreneurship <laughs> so you can be an entrepreneur in anything you want i yeah i am qualified i'm a qualified entrepreneur yep yep <laughs> And I can work on all of your information systems. Yes, that that's right. Uh-huh. <laughs> it was, you know, it Do you just build simple sheets for Sketch or <laughs> We we did like uh 
I feel like we did like a little bit of like Ruby on Rails stuff. Um, and then I actually took a class on something called COBOL. I don't know if you guys have heard of this like weird programming language Wait, before. COBOL? Yeah, a COBOL. Yeah, yeah, yeah <laughs> COBOL. I just don't even remember because it, it was yeah, so yeah. terrible. It's like C-O-B-O-L? Yeah, yeah, yeah. There was like an elective you could take and it was like the language that's used for like printer receipts mm-hmm. and stuff. Oh, nice. And it's so weird and I don't know why they had it, but it was really funny. Anyway, um, but I didn't figure out until uh, the end of the year that there was this whole design thing in this kind of what ended up being called human computer interaction was the other major that I took, but I didn't really know that was a career at all. I was just like, I kind of like this computer stuff. I like building these weird nail salon, whatever my brother's <laughs> band site, this stuff is cool. I like lava lamp, you know, whatever. Uh, but I didn't really know what any of it really meant in terms of helping businesses at all. Um, but fortunately uh, I found that lava lamp cell, dude, they do, you know, not anymore. I would say no, you should just combine all those have, things. I don't see lava one. lamp nail salon is a great <laughs> band name. I'm going to buy a lava lamp for this studio. I think you need one. Can we have That's like three? Like a lava lamp in that corner or even just right here. That'd be kind of nice. This is great <laughs> audio content. <laughs> right you here. You can no, just animate right these lights. Is that better? <laughs> oh, man. So you joined, you ended up in the HDI program? I did. So the cool thing about that program is you can't join your freshman year. So they want you to have a specialty. You know how like people talk about T-shapes with designers where you have like one really deep skill set and then you are broad in lots of others. They kind of force you to do that in the sense that to apply, you have to have already had a primary major. You can't major in just human computer interaction there, which I thought was really cool actually. Um, and so we had a mix of people from like computer science and graphic design and industrial design and um, you would have psychologists, um, and they intentionally selected people into the program with a diverse set of those things. Um, so they did a really good job making sure that like it wasn't super homogenous and it taught you a lot of things about how to work with a diverse set of people. So your T was information systems? It's sort of, uh, I would call it now, I would call it prototyping, which is in some ways related to that, right? Like it is sort of like this light, um, kind of programming experience that gives you enough to communicate an idea, but not enough to like build an entire working system. And I feel like that's kind of what that major helped me in some ways do. Uh, now that I say it out loud, I don't think I thought of it that way. Did you know at the time, like what you wanted to do? Did you want to get out of school and go build things for theaters? Or like- <laughs> no, I, I Computer don't. theater. <laughs> yeah. Right. That's really what we do, right? I mean, <laughs> yeah, actually, yeah. yeah it's I'm gonna, doing it. This is what I imagine well, I would be doing. It's right going to come full circle, right? Like you're going to go to theaters and VR. Oh, it's true. Like Hamilton's it's sold true. out for a year, but you don't need I'll to I'll settle for, uh, last night I went to karaoke at a place called Festa. I'll settle for that environment. Just like. In whatever. VR? Oh, like, no, not in <laughs> VR. No, not yet. You not yet. That. Although I did just see, you can go to the dentist with a VR thing on now. Practical. I what? mean, wait, wait, wait. That sounds awesome. Yeah. I mean, it, it kind of makes sense. Like, you know, you're leaning back and you're closing your eyes anyway because that stupid bright light is super bright. And yep. they sometimes give you sunglasses. But the next evolution of sunglasses, of course, after Snapchat glasses, is VR glasses. <laughs> We're yes. in the awkward growing up phase where <laughs> spectacles are. There's a different definition of it. <laughs> the hottest when thing I was your age, spectacles, <laughs> they were. <laughs> they just helped you see. Oh, It's all they needed to do. <laughs> oh, my God. Man. I'm ugh. spectacles. <laughs> what the hell? I'm curious. Do people still curious. use Snapchat? I, I yeah, um, I use it sometimes. I think you'd be very surprised. A lot of people use it. Like it's a huge hundreds thing. of millions it's of huge. people. Anyway. Some people's kids. <laughs> <laughs> I do think they do a lot of cool stuff with uh, with discovery of content and like the way they they show videos is cool. But uh, tacos having a little taco tech. Yeah, I think tacos struggling there, but or maybe he's just laughing at our jokes. These guys are hilarious. It's so funny. Have you, I mean, have you seen a dog laugh? Just now. 
there you go. So you studied HCI. Uh, what did you do after you finished at Carnegie Mellon? Well, actually, before I finished, I did an internship um, at a really small sort of like design agency called Lauder Shelley. Um, I don't know if you guys have, have you heard of like Maya Design, for example? Uh-huh. Like they're like kind yeah, of similar yeah. to IDEO, um, design thinking sort of like workshops and stuff. Um, there was a really there was like a really small company, just two guys, Mark and Skip, that started this um, studio in Pittsburgh um, and worked with them uh, for a summer and like in a really close kind of mentorship comp- um, context. Like I feel like it's rare that you get to like learn very closely from someone else these yeah. days. Like you kind of usually have like a manager that you see once a week and you don't really get a lot of like hands-on help. And I feel like that for me, I ended up working with them for more than two summers um, was that like, they just like basically um, spent a lot of time helping me grow um, in particular, like not just in like using my tools better, but like in understanding how to solve problems and just into um kind of think about actual business problems and not just about graphics and things that I might have otherwise only known about earlier in my college career. How did you get in and in with them? How did you get that? Uh, actually, interestingly enough, my my mom had uh, had worked with them on a project of some kind. She's a project manager and um, I forget what project, but um, and so she had told me about them and um, I had known a lot of people that had done some somewhat similar like agency sort of set up things and pittsburgh actually has a lot of design agencies which is kind of cool. that is very true yeah there's like i think bearded's there which is good super friendly super friendly yeah there's some like really so it kind of like worked out really well that way that there's kind of a community for that i think that's nice but mm-hmm. um but yeah i'd say i learned a lot from that close mentorship um we would work on problems for doctors or um, things in education it was a very wide variety of problems and uh, they also taught me like the power of a whiteboard they were like huge whiteboard people they had like their entire walls were whiteboards and they would use them so, so, so heavily. Uh, and I feel like that's awesome and a really helpful tool. W- was that product design at the time or were you doing websites? Yeah, it was. I mean, it was kind of, we used <laughs> InDesign to create wireframes. So it was, uh-huh. it was like a lot of wireframes. I didn't really do much high fidelity then. And it's funny now because I've come the other way and I like don't believe in wireframes in some ways. Ooh. Uh, but I, I um, yeah, we did like a lot of, you would have like these pages and the pages would show lots of different steps of a flow, for example, of like, um, what can I talk about that we worked on? Um, uh, some like so. At one point, we were like mapping out the different stages of Crohn's disease, which is a really complex disease, and there's a lot of different stages that, from diagnosis to to treatment, um, that are really complicated. And we were helping um, a company to kind of visualize that process to understand where the different pain points were throughout each one. Um, and so these these guys who started this company were really good at uh, visualizing data, and were really good at helping um, companies see things differently, which is really what you hire often contracts for yeah um to help like get out of the day-to-day and have someone else come in and be a newbie for a second and help them see something on a much simpler context that seems like amazing experience for someone oh my god yeah in for... college and yep. thinking about that i had no kind of human problem right yeah i mean amazing also like super like confused and overwhelmed all the time but they were like really supportive and helpful and um so that was that was awesome um and then I think actually before that I was just like a, I was a camp counselor at a computer <laughs> camp. It was like a like a game design camp or something. Nice. Like I don't know, it was weird. Uh, before I forget, why don't you believe in wireframes anymore? Uh, why don't I believe in wireframes? I you know so I I have a love hate not a love hate like kind of like a a challenged <laughs> perception of them, which is that like I think um, I think tools are good enough these days that you can just. Str- like it's just not an issue of time to go from the difference between like a sketch and a high fidelity concept. I think that has gotten much better over time. 
I think the point of wireframes, obviously, is to help people stay focused on the content you're showing and not on the style. But the challenge of using it for that is that ultimately, as soon as you bring style in, everyone will still have those opinions. And so they have to happen at some point. Um, and why not just like get that out of the way sooner and like iterate on that in a really quick context? And if you have to change them, change them. And don't get me wrong, I actually like I do use wireframes for certain things, like um, a class pass for certain kind of like um, pricing concepts that I have to illustrate. Like it's pretty. Um, I would say though the wireframes end up being more like tables of information and like different ways of looking at content that are always in black and white or something simple. But um, but generally, I just again I think the. I don't think we need them as much, um, but I still think they probably have their use. Uh, sometimes you'll hear from from folks that are very good at that, or they come from a background where wireframing is mm. the role. Like, I guess in my mind, that's the UX designers. Like how how that person might think of their skill set. Do you think that's enough? Yeah, I mean, well, that's actually I think that's part of why I'm I find it challenging. Is that you're right? Like part of it it was one thing to have that as a tool, right? And to use that as a communication tool with your team. It's another to have a role that does nothing but that, which is became common in the agency world where they would hire visual designers that just kind of polished the wireframes from UX designers. Um, and that model to me is super flawed and really challenging because I think ultimately the best designers you're going to find that are specialists in different areas want to have influence on how the thing is working and don't want to be seen as just a painter. And so I think like that... Uh, that the need for that role might have been more common when there aren't as many designers and maybe like people hadn't had as much practice in the industry then and you needed resources quickly to build things. Um, but I think at this point, dividing up visual design from, you know, wireframes and flows and other things is not a necessary thing. I think you can find enough people that can help you with both. Where do you draw the line of how many things a designer needs to be able to do to be a, a, a competent designer in, in, a, in a company? That's a great question. I mean, I think, um, I mean, I think I do believe in the T-shaped kind of concept, the shape of there is a specialty that you can help bring to grow a certain skill set in your team or in your company. And I think in some ways, it's like you really only need one as long as you are capable of having, you know, of collaborating, right? So like if your specialty is in motion and you love motion design at Google, we had hired uh, motion designers, which was really cool. Um, as long as you still can be thoughtful and have a good um, a good way of collaborating and understanding how to solve a problem and you're not just super stubborn with your tool or your paintbrush or whatever it is, um, I think that's fine. So honestly, like, ideally, there's just at least one thing. That's the line. Okay. It's probably more nuanced than that, but that's easier to say. So you started building up these experiences and you had these two summers of internships. It sounds almost like an apprenticeship. Uh, Good distinction, yeah. What did you want to do after that? Like, had, had you been sold on an agency lifestyle or an agency style of work? Uh, I don't think I really knew. I mean, I think, I don't know how much I had really thought about it yet. Otherwise, other than knowing that um, I had, um, I had actually almost worked at a company called Arc90 uh, in New York. Uh, I don't know if you guys knew them. Mm -mm. And they built Readability. Do you remember Readability? Yeah. Like yeah, old yeah. school Instapaper. Really cool group of people. Um, ended up sort of staying isn't, in Pittsburgh instead. Is it the Safari feature called Readability now? Reading list. Reading, yeah, something like it. Or it's like, and, and maybe they use no, some like of the tech from it. It's like readability mode or something. Yeah, and I think, yeah, I don't know. Anyway, uh, but anyway, so I would had like interest in these companies that were building products, uh, building multiple products. I think the idea of working and learning about different 
industries was interesting to me, but that didn't mean I necessarily was like, I want to join an agency. It just meant I like the idea of companies that have people building stuff and I kind of want to do some of that, but I didn't really know, still had no idea like what was out there because you're still in like a smaller box at that point. Um, So what did you do? I stayed on at Carnegie Mellon a bit longer, actually. I took a master's in human computer interaction, which was ended up being a really good choice. Why? Because um, the way why, that they, why did you do that and why was it a good choice? I probably did it to like procrastinate the decision <laughs> of like what I wanted to do. Like many people who go to grad school, it's like, I like school and I'm learning stuff and this I want is more of that. Yeah. yeah, exactly. Yeah, it's it's comfortable and you know it. Um yeah. And so, but I think Ultimately, like I was very quickly sold on their concept. And the master's program was actually very different than the undergrad program at Carnegie Mellon, even though they were the same organization, um, in that the master's program was centered around, uh, well, not very different, but parts of it were. They were centered around uh, a project. Um, and I think some of the best schools that I've seen work in this way, where you get essentially a, an internship at a company as a part of getting that master's. Um, I think Waterloo in Canada has a really good program like this. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think uh, it's wonderful because it shortcuts that whole learning curve of what it's like to work in an organization in a lot of ways. Um, and what, so what they did is they basically, you have this cohort in your master's class of like, I think 40 or 50 people. Um, some of them are going to be, in my case, it's called accelerated master. So people who came in from the undergrad and some people came from other schools, uh, as like a full-time master's program that was two years. So when you do the continuation, it's like an hour, uh, it's a, like a year and a half instead or something. It's shorter. You start it like while you're still an undergrad kind mm-hmm. of, um, but they essentially map you with a team uh, and you get paired with different people. Like I said, you kind of have these different specialties that they bring in. So in our case, uh, I got uh, NASA as our client, which was crazy. I was like, oh my God, that's space. Space is back. I, I mean, was wondering where NASA was going to come in. Yeah. It's on your your <laughs> yeah. bio history, but I was like, yeah. I've never seen <laughs> no, this. Uh, it's, you know, it's really cool. Like they basically have these partnerships where um, they, you know, Microsoft and Google did them. And I think maybe Amazon did one, um, a bunch of smaller companies in Pittsburgh. Um, and so they do this because it's great. Like both people win, right? You um, you can get cheap labor in some ways from really smart and talented people who aren't yet industry professionals. Uh, and on the other hand, the school gets, um, you know, the students learn a lot in that, in that context. So it's, I actually highly recommend companies think about doing this if they have the resources to mm-hmm. do it. And so with us, it was a, I think it was like an eight month project. Um, and half of it was spent in Pittsburgh and the other half in Moffett Field in California. And there was a team of five of us building uh, essentially an Apple Watch for astronauts. <laughs> what? what? The hardware and software? <laughs> yeah, actually. So what? we built, yeah, we, we took an Android tablet uh, and strapped it on a spacesuit and built uh <laughs> Arduino controlled buttons because you can't touch when you have a space glove on, you can't use a touchscreen. So we needed buttons. So we literally built our own really ugly hardware. <laughs> uh, like it, it was like kind of like foam with this Android tablet sitting in it. And then like these little like foam shitty buttons around mm-hmm. the sides. Um, I would never know how to do that. But again, you, they get multidisciplinary teams. So we had mm-hmm. someone that knew how to work with Arduinos and, um, and so that was, that was cool. And then we prototyped it. We like strapped it on astronauts and had them run around the desert and do cool stuff. <laughs> and I'm guessing you didn't get to go to space. You know, I didn't. But uh, on my birthday, I actually got to sit in on a live mission happening on the space station oh, shit. Uh, at three in the morning, which was so cool. Um, it was like in the area where Apollo 13 was you know, done and uh, in like crazy cool to like watch that. You, you're just like 
whole in total shock the whole time. Like this is real. People are there. We're Could, in space all the time. I didn't. I think at the time I didn't even really realize. I knew that there was the International Space Station was a thing, but I didn't realize that we had rotated astronauts from different countries up there every six months, and I didn't know what they were doing or why or anything like that. So I was just like, what are they, what? They're like waving at us and stuff. Like, is this a movie? What is happening? Well, it is Hollywood. Oh yeah, right. So it was, it was all, all hoax. Yeah. yeah, it was all hoax. Yeah. They really Very fooled you. <laughs> That's why they did it at three in the morning. They knew I'd be like a little bit tired. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Ever. Yeah, yeah, you're right. This has all been an elaborate hoax <laughs> to just get you on this podcast to tell people about NASA's space station. Yeah, right. <laughs> Sorry, I blew the lid. Whatever. No, <laughs> it was cool. Uh, you know, Ultimately, like um, a lot of us, it was great, like, you know, had the opportunity to sort of stay on. But um, I think a lot of us really wanted to build um, products that weren't like 20 or 30 years out and something we could see reactions to sooner. Um, also, like as space becomes more privatized, um, resources obviously get lower at a, a government funded space agency. So, which is so cool. You were, you, you were prototyping hardware and software. Yeah. Like, is that something you wanted to keep doing? No, I. I mean, I think it was cool. Absolutely. Yeah. I think it was super, super cool. Um, but I don't think I really knew. I don't think I ever fully really know. It's one of those things like, you know, hindsight is twenty twenty. Like, I don't think I ever really would be like, well, because this happened, I knew I wanted to do this until later I talk about it or something. But um, I didn't really know I was there. And because when I was out in Moffett Field, it turns out uh, a company um, called Google is like near there. And they, a company they, called what? <laughs> Google? Google. Google. Hmm. What uh, do they do? They build... Uh, tools for people to find stuff <laughs> and pretty much everything else. Huh. <laughs> Sounds um, interesting. No, awesome, awesome company that I knew I'd always loved. And yeah. in fact, I didn't like until we talked about it, I forgot that in high school I did like a project on like yeah, yeah. how cool they were. Uh, and I still love them a lot. They're awesome. Um, and so I had interviewed when I was out there um, and uh, got a job, got an offer before I finished uh, my master's program to start as soon as the program ended. So yeah. I was like, I remember receiving that call. I was actually in like the NASA base. I was like, what is happening? This is surreal. What is my life? Uh, As you're waving to the astronauts. <laughs> and the going up in space. See you later. I'll come back. <laughs> I'm going to Google. <laughs> I feel very lucky. Uh, it was really cool. Um, so yeah, that, that's, I, it was an easy decision, I think. I didn't even like hesitate. I don't even, I don't even think I was talking to any other companies. I was just like, Crazy. this company seems awesome. I would love to work here. And at the time, the way it works is they don't actually tell you what you're going to be working on. You just apply for Google generally. I think that's still the case in a lot of contexts. Um, and then they tell you after you accept, uh, like once, once they, once Ooh, you're closer to That's risky. <laughs> that's yeah, scary, right? Yes and no. I mean, I think when you're just out of college, I don't know how much you care. Like it oh, depends. It, doesn't, it, it depends. doesn't matter. You just want your foot in the door. Well, not even that. I mean, I, I knew I loved the company and I knew I was going to learn a lot. Like I remember when they would interview, when they interviewed me, they asked like, why are you interviewing? And I remember my answer was to be around really smart people. And like, then they to, put you on the, I'm feeling lucky team. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, we that button radius just never quite got it right, you know. <laughs> we spent years AB no testing. No one ever got thing. lucky with that button. God. It just didn't happen. <laughs> Yar. <laughs> <laughs> no, uh, no, I remember getting a phone call from uh, one of my favorite people, uh, Sergey. No, yeah, Fred, this guy Sergey. He was uh, no, this guy named John Wiley, who um, is still one of my favorite uh, designers that I've ever worked with. Uh, he called me um, to let me know, hey, like you're going to be working on the search team at Google, and I was like, whoa, that's it. That's a big. That's the like big, big one. Thing. The big <laughs> yeah, kahuna, that's the, right? That's the big one. Um, 
And uh, I was like, that's cool. And I remember, I really remember that phone call very vividly. He was like, we're going to be designing essentially like, he kind of talked about it as like this big spaceship that's moving where you, it's hard to change Just really stuff. speaking your language. Yeah, he, he knew. <laughs> oh, that's what he was doing. He knew. No, he was. Hey, Noah, imagine you're in a big <laughs> spaceship. <laughs> totally. I was like, I could do that. Yeah. No, he, um, he, he basically said like, you know, it's complicated working on something that everyone in the world is using. And it's hard to uh, make meaningful changes to it because you're really used to it. And like, that's a huge challenge. How do you, how do you change a ship as it's in the sky? That metaphor has always been kind of a good one. And like, you know, you're, you're rebuilding the engine and parts while it's moving and it can't go down. Um, and so, you know, he would joke sometimes like, we can't break search. <laughs> like if search breaks, Google breaks, <laughs> everything goes down. Uh, but it actually ended up being a lot more, um, you had a lot more kind of ability to, to make change there than I think from the outside people have talked about with like the Doug Bowman kind of blue color stuff and whatever. But, um, so I actually really loved it, but that's a whole other story. What was your preconception going into that? Like, did you have an expectation of what you wanted to do or what you wanted to accomplish or what you wanted to change? No, I don't, I don't think I really knew much. I just knew I wanted to be around smart people and that this seemed fun. Um, and I think I did, I did think that like I had heard that in some contexts, big companies are harder to make meaningful changes. But mm-hmm. again, my focus was on growing and learning and um, it was a perfect place for that for well, sure. What did you find? It was exactly that. It was, it was, um, <laughs> it was unbelievable. Like I, you know, I joined and um, started working on a few different uh, search projects and uh, at a point they, I think like three or four months in, they had said, Hey, we're building out this whole mobile team. <laughs> There's this like mobile thing happening that seems pretty popular. Um, uh-huh. <laughs> people are using their phones and stuff. We're trying to figure out why. <laughs> um, mm-hmm. And we should probably be working on making sure search works really well on these things. Uh, and um, in particular, focusing on iOS. So they had um, they had noticed certainly like there is a lot of space to uh, to make great stuff there. And in particular, like for example, these these phones have microphones and you can talk to them. And that was new in some ways, right? You don't really talk to your desktop machine as often. Or ever, or ever. Um, well, now you talk to your Echo or your Google Home uh-huh. stuff. But uh, and so they they knew there was sort of a technology reason to invest there, which is that like we think we can be doing something there. But there wasn't necessarily yet like a sort of a people centered reason for building this product, right? Like in some ways you can you can describe your way around it, but it was really like excitement about technology that I would argue started parts of that. Um, and it was very small. It was just uh, they brought. Uh, so I would, I was the only. Well, I wasn't the only designer at the time, uh, this guy, Peter, and a few other people had sort of worked on it, but they decided to sort of staff it more um, and make it more of an effort. And so I got to jump into that uh, headfirst. And, um, that was Google for iOS. Yeah. And so essentially, like my first question on day one when I joined that team was like, why don't I just use a browser? Like I have a browser on my phone. There's this thing called Safari that was there. I don't understand why um, why we have an app called Google. Like isn't Though, aren't those the same thing? Like what, you know, why, why do I need this? What about like Chrome is this thing? And um, at some point, shouldn't we do that on mobile? At the time we hadn't had that yet. And as we started like researching why, because it was getting used a lot though too. At the time I joined, there was still plenty of people using this thing. And I was like, why are they using it? What's happening? So we did a lot of research and talked to a lot of people and, and learned a bunch of super fascinating things. One of them was that people would get their phone and they would want to Google something because that's how we find information. That's how we do stuff. And they literally didn't, sometimes didn't know how directly. And so for them, seeing a big Google icon on their home screen was all that they needed to feel comfortable and safe that they can find whatever it is that they need to find. That in some cases, if you're having a, like a health problem, you want to look at, like there's a lot of urgency with search tasks sometimes. Um, and so just going to the app store, which is what they kind of tell you in materials to do and downloading stuff, they would type in Google, where's my Google? They would see this 
big Google logo and they'd be like, great, that's what I wanted. And they would download it. And so literally the, for, for when I remember living in the Valley, I lived in San Francisco for five years doing this stuff. And all my friends were like, what are you, what are you working on? And none of them like understood why I wasn't like working on a browser. And it turns out that a lot of people don't think like everyone in Silicon Valley. <laughs> what? what? Uh, hang, on, I, hang on, hang on, hang on. Yeah, we should slow down. <laughs> Wait, yeah. <laughs> uh, well, so this is how I originally got in touch with you. I That's wrote right. a review of Google for iOS. Yeah. And he shit all over it's it. And I work. shit on it. Yeah. And then I got in touch with you and I shit on your work. And, <laughs> and here we are. No, no, no. Uh, it, it, was, it was. That was a later version though, right? It might have been. Yeah. That, that was probably. An, that was the version ago. that Jeremy worked on, I think. No, uh, no. No? No, I don't think it was. I think uh, it was before that. When, when you and I got yeah. in touch, I, I wrote a review of Google for iOS. Yeah. Um, and it was beautiful. It was amazing. There's so many, so many wonderful details. And I think when that was published, I somehow came across your name. We got to talking, and you yeah. pointed out a few more details I missed. Uh, <laughs> but it, it was, it was great. But it, it was pay more attention, a, Brian. Fuck. <laughs> like I, I want to know how how you worked on it because it yeah it ended up becoming the scope. It's not trying to solve every problem, right? It, it was well, like, yeah. I mean, it's, it's, it's it seemed very intentional and simplified, and yeah. I mean, cared so about things was, like motion. That was actually and, a really fun a fun challenge because in some ways, you know, you talk to different people and you could have a different vision for what Google on your iPhone should be. And in, for some people, it could be like the portal to all things Google. And like my Gmail could be there and my other stuff could be there. And actually an earlier version of the app had like all of that stuff embedded. Like a in launcher. Yeah, like a launcher, totally. And as you know, as you learn, as you work on mobile products, like you can't bloat your product with too many things or else you don't know what to use it for. And for us, like- what. Just- <laughs> shit. shit i'm doing it all <laughs> wrong redo everything <laughs> sketches just rabbit sketches. um so you know ultimately like basically from time to tapping that icon to typing in what you're looking for should be as quickly as possible and the interesting thing about a browser is that it always shows you the thing that you had open last which on a phone is actually not always what you need because uh you know your tasks are pretty transient like every half hour you're in a different context with your phone and you're doing something different and so looking at that article you were reading last week is probably completely irrelevant at this point or even last night and so your tasks happen rapidly enough that like a big beautiful simple box is actually what you want most of the time you tap that icon not this other thing um and so we noticed more and more that like there were a lot of things we could have done a lot better than browsers that made the task much easier to do um which was great because at the time, like we had, we were a pretty small team. It was just like uh, me. Actually, I'm going to dinner tonight with the head engineer of that project, who's one of my favorite people in the whole world, Dan. Uh, and I'm excited to catch up with him. But um, but he taught me like a ton of stuff about uh, not having an ego as a designer. I would say is like the first thing he taught me. Like, what do you mean? So I remember he started around the same time I did, and I remember like thinking it's my job and my responsibility to like design everything here. And like, I'm supposed to, I started coordinating like a brainstorm with the team and like trying to like do the things I thought I was taught to do and that I'm, I'm the one making this stuff. And he would, I remember vividly, he would come into every, every time I was like sketching or making something, he would like show up next to me and be like, Dan, Dan, what I'm, I'm doing something. What are you doing? He kept coming in and, 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 at the time I felt it was like intrusive or something. Like he just like was always over my shoulder or something. And he was always involving himself. I was like, he's the engineer. Isn't he supposed to be building this stuff? And he taught me so quickly. Uh, well, one, he's like a 30 million times better of a designer than I am. So he'd be like, well, why are you doing that? Shouldn't you do this? And I'm like, damn it. Shit. Right. Every time. You're right. Oh, you're right. You're looking at the master's degree hanging on your wall like, <laughs> like God, God damn it. No, I'm a master. <laughs> no, <laughs> so I do it. Just like breaking. I'm a master of human computer interaction. All. <laughs> all these interactions. I could do them. No, uh, no, that, I mean, that guy is amazing. Um, and so he, Dan, Dan Fish, 
uh, and it's interesting because he's not one of those people that like you would, you know, there are people that you will hear about because they are, they like that part of their personal brand or they're, they, they're outspoken in some way. He's one of those people you'll, you'll probably never like hear about because he's behind the scenes making awesome, awesome stuff and just doesn't have, he doesn't like that. He doesn't have any interest in like being a personality that people, you know, engage with in some way. Like he, he just is super hyper-focused on doing what he's doing. Uh, he was like at Apple for a little while before Google brought him in. And, um, and what I loved is what he told me is like he joined Google because he felt Google at the time, we hadn't had like a huge design force or design presence. This was before material design, before even the unified design language called Kennedy. So this is actually at a point where most people as designers were like, why would I join this company? Um, and he was like, I feel like as an engineer who is creative and who is, has a really good eye for design, I want to make that influence happen or help, you know, for him, it was like a mission, right? Like I can make Google be more design focused. And here's this engineer telling me that. And that's when my mind was blown. And I was like, we're all designers. <laughs> like we are not, we don't need to create like a separate entity called design that is completely separate. We uh, do love naming things and compartmentalizing though, don't we? <laughs> we do like systems. We like, yeah, I <laughs> So how, how did have to do this? How did you change after that? After oh that moment God, of realization, changed. like I stopped sitting away from them. <laughs> like I sat next to them and started like uh, we collaborated for like and and I was so happy that this happened because like half of the more than half of the amazing stuff that I think came out of that team, one of the best teams I've ever worked on, I felt um, came from all of us. Like it wasn't like you know people like to attribute success to like one person. It's just like how we evolve. We like love leadership and this idea of like a single person doing everything, but no, it's not. It's like the best things come from amazingly talented teams of people. And he taught me that in a lot of ways. Teamwork. Teamwork. It's how important. long did you work on Google for iOS? A long time. Um, four years. Yeah. <laughs> that is a long time. That's, a full, <laughs> that's a full career. You retired after that, I, right? Yep. yep. Holy no, shit. No, I yeah, it is a long what, time. But what? honestly, it changed a lot though. So it didn't feel like the same thing all the time because the landscape changed, mobile phones changed, mm -hmm. what they were capable of doing. Um, I do remember like the first version of Google that I got, like on my iPod touch pretty early <laughs> on. And then the the last version I used was the one that Jeremy worked on. So yeah. like, I had it on my phone for a, a long time. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Awesome. Good. I love it. I mean, honestly, that there's no better feeling like that's a, one of the other things I learned was like, you know, you can look at a dashboard and it has like this number of people you might have influenced in some way. And it doesn't really mean anything. We're really bad as humans at seeing numbers and understanding them. But I'll never forget being in uh, being in Japan with my family and like seeing someone next to me at a train station who didn't speak my language start talking into this device in a language I didn't understand. And like seeing that app there just blew my mind. Like this single person, seeing that person had more of an emotional effect on my sort of like well-being than many other moments ever in that in those like four, four and a half years that I was there. This is why, you know, we keep harping on user research. Go talk to people. Uh, go to Japan. Go, go to, just, or just, just go, go to Japan. Visit. Just go. Yeah. Yeah, that's an amazing <laughs> feeling. How, how did you work on it for four years? I, I, I find I get tired thinking of what it'd be like to think of one thing for that long. I... I mean, I, I was super and still am super passionate about that product. Um, and not only that, but the people I was working with, like, I mean, I'm still very close friends with a lot of people, whether it's Jeremy or Randy or Nick, um, all these people. And Dan, obviously I'm meeting for dinner. Just love them as people and loved building things uh, with this team. And, and, um, and I was learning constantly. I think for me, like, it was an easy decision to stay during that time when I was constantly learning from these people. Um, and at the point that you feel like you're no longer learning, that's usually an inflection point to decide if you feel like you want something different. And that came for you at four years? 
Yeah, it did. Um, I yeah, I think you know it's almost like you go to high school for four years, you go to college for four years, you're sort of like taught to like live in this four year increments or something. Go to I, Google for four years. <laughs> ideally, I mean, it worked. It was great. Um, but I. Um, yeah, I I just felt like I was ready for a change. And actually, at that time, it turned out that um, a lot of us on the team had had similar feelings. We wanted to do different things um, after that big launch that uh, that Jeremy helped work on. Um, You're all like, this team is great. Let's get out. <laughs> <laughs> Later. <laughs> Time to do the next thing. Always got to do the next thing. Well, how, how did you evaluate that decision? Oh, that my must God, be it was hard. I, hard, terrifying, like yeah, I bittersweet. Yeah. Um, you know, it's hard talking about these challenges, right? These are first world challenges and these are, I feel very privileged to like have that kind of, um, to be able to think about what I can do in my life. Um, and I feel very lucky for having that thought even. Um, and so I think uh, what I actually did first is I left the team before I left, before I went to anywhere else. I just said like, you know, I wanted the team to make sure they were in a good place and had a, a good manager and, and they got one, which is great and took a sabbatical. Um, so I actually took uh, I took a sabbatical and went to Amsterdam and worked on Framer with uh, Kuhn and Jorn and a bunch of awesome people there. Um, it's kind of like we joke about it as like a little internship. That's great. Why Framer? <laughs> uh, I had besides getting to go hang out in Amsterdam. For oh, yeah, a I mean, it, yeah, self-explanatory. No, I I had always loved prototyping. I mean, I'd always you know from building websites. You know, there's this era of designers that use jQuery to build like fun stuff, and I was in that sort of cohort i guess Bryn loves jquery ui or whatever yeah i actually didn't i didn't like jquery ui but i like jquery like the components were like kind of annoying to use yeah, yeah but i loved the language it was like simpler finally for designers to understand and use and so when they started building framer when they were at facebook um i had met them through one of my best friends austin um uh bales and he had introduced me to them and said you should really talk to these people they're building this really cool thing and they gave me like a really early version this is well before framer studio this was like a javascript framework basically and it made really beautiful animations that were really smooth. And I was like, this is so cool. Yeah, I and remember Framer.js. Yeah, Framer.js, the OG Framer. Um, and so I was building stuff with it a lot for Google Now um, and, for, uh, and for voice search and for the, the core kind of product. And I was like, this is, this is great. And so I'd always kept that relationship with them and I had beta tested stuff. I'd always loved tools and stuff like that. And whenever I was looking to, to do something different, um, my girlfriend at the time took a, took an opportunity in London and I was like, this could be kind of fun. Like maybe I'll come out there and see what's around there. And then Kuhn and, and Jorn had graciously let me kind of come out and, and work with them for a while. That's awesome. So how long were you there? Uh, a little over a month. Um, okay. Oh, that's not like a crazy long sabbatical. No, no. Well, yeah. So I, I was mean, envisioning it, like it, a year. I was like, huh. no, 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 no. Uh, this is, no, this is short. I mean, I, so I did that and then I flew back and continued working at Google looking for, uh, looking for an, another team. So I felt very lucky. Like Google's a really, again, like an awesome company that kind of like helps you pair you to a different team uh, if you are looking to do that, which is great. Um, but I ultimately realized every time I was talking to a team that my heart was saying like, there's something off here. Like there's something that I'm, that's not fulfilling right now. And part of it was like, I jumped back on that bus and I was like, this is like, I was traveling for a bit and I felt like what it was like to like bike to work in Amsterdam or like walk around somewhere. And it felt uh, just different. And I was like, this is what I wanted. Difference, something different. Kuhn and Jorn oh, say so Amsterdam is the best city. Is that true? <laughs> There's only right or wrong answers here. Yes. No. Uh, <laughs> uh, no. It's an awesome city, and I think it's it's a city that like I recommend people explore because I think it has like if you don't know anything about it, you just hear like stuff about like oh, it's got coffee shops in the red light district or something. And I think a lot of Americans don't uh, don't spend time to actually understand different cultures or go out and like mm. see what it's hmm. like. Yeah. <laughs> so nah, dude, we understand them all. <laughs> we get it. Uh, so well, being there just 
people are wonderful and lovely and super educated and really just really smart people. And I loved, uh, you know, just also geographically, it's gorgeous. You've got these canals everywhere. Mm-hmm. And, um, and so, yeah, I loved it. And so when I came back, I was like, I, I don't know what I want to do, but I know I want something different. So I, I quit without a job um, and spent some time to try to figure that out. That's terrifying. Uh, it, it, uh, yeah, it, it is, it is, but it also felt right. You know what I mean? Like sometimes you make a decision and you're like, that felt good. And sometimes you do and it doesn't. Um, and in this case it did, it felt like I made the right call and I didn't really know what I wanted to do. But so I started kind of traveling for what ended up being like seven months, but I didn't know that. I thought I wanted, I just, I knew I wanted to change. I didn't know what the change was. Okay. How did you eventually figure out the next step? Um, I, had this feeling in the back of my head for a while that I wanted to be in New York. Uh, it was a city that I always felt gravitated to. It just seemed like really different and like lively. Um, and so I'd actually like even two years before I had actually talked to teams at Google a little bit, like of should I consider making this move within Google? Um, and then ended up like really loving the idea of, uh, I ended up being lucky enough to become a manager and, and, uh, and got to hire a design team, which was really cool at Google. So I decided not to it to make that jump. But it was always in my head. So I had planted that seed a while ago and um, decided to do it. But I didn't know what company I started. Um, I sort of like, for whatever reason, wanted to just like move and be there first and then uh, kind of like talk to people and meet more people. It was easier logistically to meet people in person. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And so I moved in February and then talked to a bunch of companies. And ended up at ClassPass. Class Pass. I did, uh, which has been freaking awesome. I, uh, yeah, I, I feel really lucky. Like I'm, Google Ventures has uh, like over 200 portfolio companies. And when you leave Google, it's smart that they help kind of pair you with those companies in cases that, you know, um, that you might be interested in. So they have an amazing recruiter named Max who um, really like uh, did a great job being like, well, what are you interested in? And helped pare down a set of companies to talk to. Mm-hmm. Um, and I had heard about ClassPass. I remember one of my good friends, Mari, was telling me that like she had used it. And I'd, I loved, I knew a, a bunch of things that I wanted. Like I wanted to work in health or fitness or education. Um, and I knew that I didn't want a big company, not because I don't like big companies, but because I just literally wanted to change. So I focused my search and, you know, as a designer, sometimes you need to add constraints to stuff to solve stuff. And so I needed to like add a constraint. Sometimes? <laughs> Pretty much all <laughs> Every the time. time. Every time. Every time, all of the time. Uh, so I decided, you know, moving to New York was a constraint, right? Then you've made a decision to focus your search to that cluster rather than like thinking about everywhere you could be. And then constraining myself to like problems that I felt were meaningful and helpful for people and not things that were like entertainment purposes. Not that entertainment can't be meaningful in some contexts, but like I wanted to work on something that, uh, that also like involved like a real life component in some way, like something that, uh, like I just, I felt so addicted to my phone all the time and I was just getting really pissed. I'm like, why am I just like scrolling and why am I like pulling to refresh all this stuff? And like, I, I just wanted to like do do things. So it's fun to look at products that are helping people to live life and not just tap a screen for a while. You said you wanted to get out of uh, the big company just for the sake of change. But yeah. looking back, um, like how, how would you think of evaluating a decision between big companies, small companies, startup to agency? Like how do you think about that, like, uh, assume you're advising someone that's just getting out of Yeah, I mean, that's, an, that's an awesome question. I actually, ha- um, we had a panel at General Assembly with different designers from each of those different categories, which is really cool. I think we should do more of that. Um, and we all had like a candid discussion of like what our, this is when I was at Google, um, what, what our jobs are like. And I think that was cool because I actually learned a lot being on that panel from the people on the panel talking about like adaptive path and someone was there from Airbnb. And 
it was really fun to hear about what things were like. Um, and I, I've had this question from a lot of people, like, how do I, you know, where do I go and where do I start? And a lot of people are like, should I go to school? And should I, should I do this or that? And my, my answer is that is like, it doesn't really matter as long as you have mentors around you. Like if you have really good people, wherever you choose to join, you will grow and you will get to a good place. And like, that could actually happen in school. Like for me, I got really lucky. I got tons of great mentors at Carnegie Mellon and at Lauder Shelley, um, and even more great mentors at Google. And like, that's, that was more helpful for me than just like the size of the company or what, you know, and certainly you learn things as a result of that different context as well. But I always in my like ranking of what I want to do, put people first. Um, and that's hard because when you meet a new company, you don't know those people very well. And so like, and it takes time to get to know people. So how do you know that's going to be great people? Yeah. Uh, so have you hard. found any way to do that? Um, how to do what? Like to evaluate the people in you, like, I've when the, the <laughs> points of contact you have are an interview. I mean, I think it's, like, it's just like when you meet a new group of friends. It's like you have this intuition somewhere. I, I, I'm a very strong believer in intuition, and I feel like you have this feeling that this is someone you want to be around. And it's hard to evaluate more fully what that means, and like the complexities of personalities are are interesting. But I feel like you get a good gut sense after a half hour meeting sometimes. And sometimes you're surprised and it's not always right, which is what's challenging about intuition is it's not always right. But you generally like have a feeling and you're like, this this feels kind of good or this this doesn't. And it's never 100%. Like actually when I joined ClassPass, it wasn't, it definitely wasn't like, this is, there is no doubt in my mind that this is the right choice. It was not like that for sure. Um, it ended up, now I feel that way for sure. But then it was just like, I need to work. I need to build stuff. I haven't <laughs> built anything meaningful and I need to do something with my life. And this is a great company doing a great thing. Um, and I did have a really great gut feeling from everyone that I met. And I also knew Braden would be someone I could learn a lot from. And he- Braden uh, Coetz. Yeah, Braden Coetz from Google Ventures um, was who I had first talked to and was like, yes, I want to learn from this person. Mm -hmm. um, still a great mentor of mine and um, felt lucky enough uh, when he was- basically in-house at ClassPass for a little while, helping build that design team to get to do that with him. So you, cool. you joined ClassPass as a design manager? Yeah. Um, had you been managing at Google before? Or? I had, yeah, for about a year. So actually, okay. like Jeremy, who has been on this podcast before, was actually my first hire, um, which was great. I'd met him at ValleyoCon. Jeremy Goldberg. Jerry super Gold talented dude. Super talented guy. Dude, I remember. Have you seen the new App Store onboarding? Because it has one of his icons in the onboarding. No way. I yeah. didn't know that. That's, he did I'm one not for Redacted? And it, oh my God, oh, cool. it's so good. Yeah, I'll check that out. Yeah, I mean, so I remember when I met him, we had like, there was this thing at ValioCon where they gave you some creative time, which was really fun. I think you got like some amount of time, either that or he just made made creative time for himself when we were there. But you had like some chunk of time to build something with people. And no, they did have that. It was cool. Like, and I think I built, I was working um, with this guy named Nicholas Chikoff, who's this unbelievable. Chikoff is amazing. Yeah, awesome, yeah. awesome, awesome mentor. He came down to ValueCon as well and we were building in... <laughs> The app was called, I totally forgot about this. Um, it's called like 40, 24 minute nap, 23 minute nap.com. I, th I don't, it might still be up there. I'm not sure. Uh, and the idea was like someone somewhere said once that if you nap for 23 minutes, that's like the right REM cycle amount or something. And so we built like a fun little timer that was like a basic app. But meanwhile, Jeremy was like, hey guys, like I did this thing. And like, it was in like an hour. I don't even remember what the concept was, but it was so perfectly executed. And I was just like, this person's great. Mm -hmm. I want to work with this person. And so like I had reached out a few times, I think, until it was the right time, which is one of the things you learn about hiring. It's like, it's not just an immediate thing. You build relationships and it takes time, but uh, felt really lucky to get him and um, awesome, awesome designer named Arif, uh, who's great. Um, and then someone named Arif, Michael, Arif Huda, H-U-D-A. 
and then Michael O. I'd found Michael O through like a blog post he had made about like gestural left and right interactions on a phone where like if you do a diagonal line gesturally, it's actually a little bit more comfortable ergonomically than like a side-by-side -side button if you think about like the way that that, uh, that feels. So I, was, I thought that was super cool. He was, I think he was in college or just after college when he published it. So just reached out and that worked out great. <laughs> so, so you'd had some experience managing? Yeah, about a year, um, which... Like I was super surprised. Like when it, I'm actually writing a, an article about this now, um, but I I had no idea if this was going to be something I was going to do or wanted to do. But we needed help on our team. Our engineering team was growing a lot at Google, and I needed help. And so I wrote this whole doc about like I really need help. Here's why. Like I'm overwhelmed. <laughs> like there's all this stuff, and it worked out well. They were like, okay, we can get you people. And um, my boss at the time, John Wiley, I was like, okay, like I think I have someone. I think they'll be really good. So like, who's going to manage him? And John was like, what? <laughs> what? What do you mean? And I was like, yeah, like who's so he's going to report to you, right? He was like, no, like you will. I was like, what? Me? Like, I've never done this. Like, I'm like just two years out of college. Like, what do you want? Um, but, you know, as you learn with any big change, like you're never ready. Like you're never ready. You just go and you just try it. And it worked. It worked well. I mean, there was definitely challenges, but like it was something I really enjoyed. Um, and so uh, at ClassPass and the opportunity came up, um, they had a team of uh, Really, there was like um, Kara, who's an amazing designer. Uh, her background was kind of more in print and learned product design. Uh, and Rashi, an amazing, also kind of brand designer. Uh, and then Braden had come in and hired uh, some people as well. So that was it was kind of a new team, uh, which was really fun. What have you noticed the differences between managing your team inside of the world of Google, Big Co, and then switching to ClassPass, where you're a I little maybe more startupy, scrappy. The money matters. Yeah. Um, I mean, honestly, it's uh, it was a terrifying change for me. Like, the scope of the uh, of the problem was much wider. Like at Google, even though the scale of it is large, the scope is kind of small because you're working on one app with one engineering lead and one product manager lead. When you become a design manager at a company, when there's lots of different focuses, your scope is lot, is a lot larger, and you feel responsible for a lot more things. And so, um, you know, you you have kind of this body armor kind of thing as we kind of talked about at Google where you feel really protected. They have all these great resources for learning management, for learning everything. Uh, and now you're on your own and the body armor's gone. And now you're, um, you know, I earlier referred to it kind of like as a playing a video game on hard mode with like kind of a broken controller. Like everyone's kind of figuring it out as they go. Um, what did it feel like to lose the body armor? Oh my God. <laughs> Awful. It felt <laughs> super shitty. So actually. <laughs> shitty. Armor's great. Yeah. We should all be wearing body armor all the time. <laughs> No, it, it was like, honestly, I was, um, it was really hard. Like it was, um, I felt, you know, and I think I've been able in some cases to hide it well, but I was very uncomfortable. Um, and uh, I actually, I mean, I'd seen therapists throughout my life. It's actually like a big part of my life. My dad was a psychiatrist and my, you know, my mom's sister is a therapist. And I found that to be a super helpful mechanism and something that I'd like people to talk about more openly because I think it has stigmas here and there. And so I was uh, seeing one then and that helped me a lot to try to like figure out what my fears were and what was happening. Can and you sh share a little bit about that if you feel comfortable? Yeah, no. Oh my God, totally. Like I, I'm a very open person. I like talking about this stuff. And I think um, it... Uh, what I was feeling, I didn't know how to name, and it was called imposter syndrome, um, which is the which which I think has kind of two sides to it, which I didn't know about. Um, one is, you know, a, a total lack of self confidence in some ways, like you just don't feel capable of doing the thing you're hired to do, which in this case was like you know manage and lead this this design team at, at a startup that's you know early to mid stage, doing really well, but like. Um, big responsibility on my shoulders, I felt. And I didn't feel confident enough, especially seeing someone like Braden, who's doing this for like, you know, 10, 12 years, like a master at his craft, feeling like I was supposed to fill that that role. 
And, um, and I just felt, yeah, I just felt overwhelmed. And, um, and what I realized is that's part of it is like your own self-confidence. But the other part of it that I didn't know about is that it's, it's a projection of what other people are like. So you have an inflated sense in some cases of what other people are doing or capable of that makes you feel inadequate. And so you might feel like if you think about our thoughts on Steve Jobs, which is designers, all of us are like, he's perfect and the best, right? Well, <laughs> well, <laughs> well, maybe not in some contexts, but uh, it could be lots of different contexts. But we tend to think that people who are our mentors are flawless um, or we don't see their flaws. And that's because we don't have the ability to go into other people's heads and to, and to, uh, to know what they're thinking about. And it turns out if people start talking about this problem openly, it turns out everyone has felt this. Or a lot of people who have grown into very senior roles or CEOs or so on have doubt and have fear and are people. Um, but it's just not, it's one of those things, like I remember, I'll never forget, I was on a Megabus. Have you guys heard of a Megabus before? No. <laughs> Megabus is like a $4 bus that can get you around like on the cheap for uh, between like, you know, I, I use it to go to, from Pittsburgh to New York and, mm-hmm. uh, and I was on this bus. $4? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Holy shit. Oh my God, it's the best. Yeah. You have to, it's like really uncomfortable and awful, oh, but yeah. it's so cheap. But the best. It. Yeah, yeah. But the best. And so I was on this bus and I remember this guy across the, the kind of the hallway was like talking on the phone and uh and he was giving advice to his friend and he was like, never let him see you sweat, man. Like, you're fine. Like, just like, don't let him see you sweat. And I was just like cringing. I was like, no way. Like, that sucks that we can, that we would have to live in a world where you can't share your discomforts and be like honest about what's happening. Because it turns out that's like a, a big battle for a lot of people. And why can't you help each other to get over that by talking about your own circumstances instead of being like, nope, I've always been perfect and I'm always in a great spot. Like, I think... Um, the best moments of leadership that I've seen are people who are very honest and very transparent about the, their thoughts and their feelings towards something. And they're, um, you know, and there's certainly a time and a place to, to be um, overly transparent about things. But I don't know, I would like to talk more about this kind of stuff. And, and I think learning as I started doing that, as I started telling close friends that I was uncomfortable and having them share with me moments they've had like that helped me a lot um, and made me realize that like, wait a minute, like there's like, I actually can do this. Like I've, you know, you build a lot of confidence. Like when you're, it's not just the body armor of Google. It's also like when you have a relationship for a long time, you build a lot of trust with a lot of people and you build a lot of confidence. And when you jump out of that comfort zone into a new area, for me, it was both a new city and a new job. You're starting from scratch and you're facing your ego. You're facing yourself because, you know, you have to introduce yourself to a large set of people and and they don't have immediate trust. They don't know you that well. And so that's scary, right? Putting yourself out there, showing you know what you think you can do. Um, and it takes time to build that up. So it was also just a matter of switching costs or something like that. One thing that, you know, sometimes managers are referred to as shit umbrellas for, for their <laughs> reports is like, how do I shield them from these kinds of things? From, from politics and, and bad decision-making. And I mean, it, that's, it's a, yeah, that's a support I, mechanism to provide focus, right? I... I mean, well, uh, let me get to the the question. Uh, We can debate whether or not that's true. But my question is, how do you think about that degree of honesty and transparency, like certainly with friends and family, but with your reports? Like, would you ever tell someone that reports to you that you have no, that you're uncomfortable, that you're scared? Well, they're going to know now, if anything else. (laughs) No, they they know. I've I've, like, I'm, you know, I was also. It's so against like. American conventional yeah. wisdom that you totally. you want to mask that so you, you do so you don't you're the people that you lead feel that is 100% a hundred percent true like you do you need you can't be unwavering as a leader you can't be and there's a way to be honest while still being stable 
Um, because you do, you're absolutely right. As a leader, you have to be confident and you have to be, uh, you have to be convinced of a certain mission or of a certain purpose. And part of that might be your self-purpose. And I think the best leaders are very confident in themselves and know themselves really well. Um, and you also have to be very confident about the mission of what you're working on. Uh, and for me, as soon as I got comfortable, which took me six or seven months, I became 20x better at my job. I, be, I just, and I think it was felt. Like as a leader, I've been much more, um, you know, much just much more excited and confident about everything that's happening and not questioning and doubting myself. But would you, were you during that process of discomfort and fear? Yeah. Talking to your reports well, about that? a little bit, for sure. I mean, I, I was honest about, and you know what? I would call that like a learning lesson for sure. Like, again, you don't, I think it's better to, to do that when you have a little bit more resolve. Like, for example, when you're on the other side of it. Um, and so I think like, I wasn't, I think I would say like, I, and the truth is I work 50% of my time still designing things and the other 50% managing. And so I think like, I was more transparent that like, I'm still learning in both of these areas. But I do think that like, it would have been better to have been more, uh, and that's kind of a challenging thing, right? When you're still like, when you're unsure of where you, where you sit in or where you should be, like, how do you have those conversations with your reports? And I think that's like a, a huge challenge. I'm not sure. Um, maybe it's just like having, having that help and mentorship from peers and other contexts mm -hmm. where then you can come in and do it in a way that's um, healthier, I would say, for everyone, which is good. So eight months. Yeah. Where's the imposter syndrome at? Oh my God, I feel great. I think like in- Like it's gone? I mean, no, it's it's never going to be gone in some contexts, but I think the switching costs are gone. Like the switching costs of being in a new environment, I feel so much more capable and better at everything that I'm doing because I've gotten over that challenge. You just push through. Yeah. I mean, have you ever, the, like there's a book called The Dip- yeah. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. They talk about this Seth a little Godin. bit. Yeah, Seth Godin. So, like, if, the if there's a book, Brian's read it. That's just kind of how it works. <laughs> okay, all of the books you've you've read, all of them, all of them. Oh wow, that's a lot of books. Book boy, Brian Lovin. It's impressive. Uh, so, I, well, I mean, you know, they talk about sort of like the idea of going through a challenge, and some people can quit and can leave and uh, can walk away from that challenge and maybe miss an opportunity to grow, um, or you can push through it. And it was hard, and I struggled a lot. Again, I was like uncomfortable, but I have never felt better. Like I've um, grown my team by with the most amazing people I've ever worked with. Like I now feel capable of building the best design team in New York City. Um, and I believe that that's possible. And I believe that that's a thing that we will do, which I think is great and gives me a, a really excited sense of kind of purpose um, and something that I love doing. Um, and so I've made that kind of another part of this was just making the conscious decision to invest in being a leader and a manager and not just as an individual contributor, yeah. which was a hard decision to make. All right, Noah, we're almost out of time. Yeah. And it's so cool to hear that you pushed through and you got through the, the dip. Uh, but now we have to ask, what's the next dip? What keeps you up at night? Ooh. Um, I, think, I think generally I'm right now invested a lot in, uh, in how a team works together and how, um, how we can uh, build great stuff together and how to, in particular, like I'd say there's two kind of two things. One is a mission of helping people be healthier and happier. And that's what we do at ClassPass, right? We get you to be healthy and happy. We get you into a place where you feel confident because you've worked out in a really exciting context and you feel good. Your serotonin levels are high. And so there's one mission, which is just like the straight up work mission, which is help more people do that. And how do we do it? And how do we do it in a way that works? And how do we make this business work? It's still a startup. So that's one. And then the other one, do I get to? Am I allowed to? Yeah. Can, I, can two things keep you up at night? Yeah, but I, I'm going to come back because I feel like you haven't really gotten at what you're 
Anyway, what was yeah. the other thing? <laughs> <laughs> what does he mean? Uh, the other the other thing is um, sort of like becoming the best manager that I can. And so I'm reading a lot of books right now. I just finished reading The One Minute Manager, which I thought was a really helpful and productive book. Um, I'm thinking a lot about lots of different kind of frameworks. And it's funny because I've usually been pretty anti-process. When you're an individual contributor, there's nothing more challenging than like fitting into a process of like showing cr- stuff at critiques and all the stuff that you just don't want to do at first. But now as a manager, I'm realizing the importance of those things and how uh, how can I help um, make people comfortable with process. Um, and sometimes that comes with some discomfort, right? Like you have to, you know, what, and what level of, of that do I do? Like at Google, we had these things called snippets where you would like write down what you did every week. Um, they weren't always, they weren't really mandatory, but they found they were really helpful. And I'm trying to decide like, is that something that the team would find helpful? I find it helpful for myself. Um, but, you know, what's that balance of, of giving people some sort of authoritative decision-making versus complete autonomy in the way that they're working? And uh, I think that balance is a, is a tough one to strike, but yeah. I think you've answered the question of, what motivates you throughout the day, but you didn't answer what keeps you up at night? Ah, I mean, the, the real answer to that question is sort of more timely around politics right now, but that's not something I really want to talk about right now. <laughs> uh, what keeps me up at night? I, I feel like making sure that I'm giving the right resources to my team to be, as, as, um, to be high functioning and to make sure that like, you know, as a manager, you don't have a lot of time to, to have sort of an apprenticeship model like we talked about earlier, mm-hmm. which I actually believe is probably one of the best possible models is like this side-by-side apprenticeship. And so how do I, how that, do I do that? Like that when level I of communication is super hard. Yeah, you can't, you just can't. Cause I'm also spending a, bu- a bunch of my time designing stuff. Mm-hmm. And so I think like, it's, it's something that I think hiring helps with. Cause then you have, you know, a little bit more time to jump in one-on-one rather than, cause I'm still like responsible working with a team structure. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think like there's, I think, you know, it keeps me up, but I think there are paths toward it. I don't know. I'm always an optimist, but. Uh, okay. Yeah. Okay. That, that's closer. That, is that's it, closer. <laughs> what the biggest problem. What's maybe that, what keeps me up is like, what's going to keep me up at night next? Is that, is that it? That's no, it. no. Actually, I'm getting, you know, what's keeping me up right now? I'm getting my first tattoo next Saturday. So that's going to be. Wait, what? Me up. Yeah. You've already planned it? It's already planned. Obviously a butt tattoo. Right. <laughs> yeah. It's always well, the first, where else, the first, the first where else tattoo, do you get one? <laughs> the first tattoo has to be a butt tattoo. Yeah. I learned that. Yeah. Wait, wait. Right. A tattoo on your butt or a tattoo of a butt? <laughs> of a butt on your butt. Yeah. Oh, yeah. nice. Buttception. Right, exactly. What's yeah. your tattoo? Uh, it's going to be, be? A, a torch on the top left part of my arm, like on my shoulder. For the Statue of Liberty. Right, obviously. Yeah. 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 New York. No. Um, no I'm a New Yorker now. <laughs> yeah, actually, that was mainly what it was. Like, how do, what keeps me up at night is how do I be a full New Yorker? I got to get a leather jacket. And <laughs> how, like a how, do York. how do I be Noah York? Yeah, how do I, <laughs> Noah York? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's the challenge. No, uh, so that's that's gonna be interesting too. Man, well, thanks for hanging out while you were in town. Oh, thanks for I having me. This is great. Yeah, this is awesome. Super fun. That was episode 174. Thanks to Noah for coming to hang out with us. Thank you for listening. And thanks to Wayno for sponsoring the show. So what do you do now? Go check out Wayno. They're at wayno.co, U-E-N-O dot C-O. Check out their careers. If you want a new job, they're hiring designers here in San Francisco and in New York City. If you want to get inspired, read the case studies on their website, follow them on Dribbble. All the links for those are in our show notes. That's once again at wayno.co. If you want more podcasts or things to learn and, and listen to, learn from and listen to, I hope. Uh, and get betterer. And get betterer at, go to spec.fm. That's our network for content to help designers and developers like you level up. Huge shout out to our bro- sister show, brother show, whatever uh, developer to you just passed 5 million downloads, Ooh-wee. which is awesome. 
Once again, that's spec.fm, bueno.co. Thanks so much for listening. We'll see you next week. Bye.